Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Today, our teaching topic is, you know, why should I serve? Why should I do that? Because I think what's happened in the great American church today is we struggle a great deal with uh, treating it kind of like a cafeteria. You know, when you go to a cafeteria, you kind of pick what you like and pick what you don't like. And, you know, if it's, if it's something that, that day you don't particularly like, you can just get a salad. And, but I think at times we treat the church kind of in the same way, which is, okay, I like that, but I don't like this. Okay, but I like when they do that, but I don't like when they do this. And that's perfectly normal. I understand it. My encouragement to you, though, would be able to recognize that one of the great truths that Jesus taught was that when we give of ourselves, when we serve others, we are truly more like him. And I think the goal for any of us that have chosen to be Christ followers are always trying to figure out how am I going to grow in Christ and how am I going to become not just a better person, although that's, that's wonderful, but how can I become more like Jesus? And then there's some folks that when you say things like, they're like, I don't want to be more like Jesus because if I am more like Jesus, then I'm, I'm going to help people and I don't like people. I'm, 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 I'm not going to give. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do X, Y, or Z because just because Jesus did doesn't mean I need to be more like Jesus. Well, what would the Bible have to say about that? Which is a good place to go. And so today, if you'd find your Bibles, if you have them, or if you have it on a tablet or a phone, just grab and find the book of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to spend a little time starting in the fifth verse. All right? So let me, let me break that down for you real quick. In Philippians chapter 2, Beginning in verse 5, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Now, let's stop. Let's understand what we're talking about here is make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Now, if attitude definitely determines altitude, then what our passion and what our attitude is fixed on will determine the altitude that we reach. So if you're here today and you're like, you know, Chuck, I don't know how the Bible's going to help me. I don't know how it's going to be more relevant in my life today. I don't know how it would apply to me here in 2016. Let me read it again. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Now go up to the first verse. And in the first verse of chapter 2, the scripture says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility considered others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, right there, we get the reason as to why verse 5 says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. So when we say around here, you know, we believe the Bible is a big deal. You know, it's not like, hey, getting a sale over at uh, uh, Macy's is a big deal. It's a big deal in the sense that this is a direction and roadmap for our life. God gave us the direction. God divinely inspired through the Spirit of God every word and literally through men penned this so that this would be more relevant to us today and even be more relevant to us tomorrow. Because the scriptures, when they speak to us, especially on a day like salt and light, they answer the questions, why should 
I serve. Now, let's stop there and define serve just a minute. Many of us hear that term and we immediately think in terms of, okay, my neighbor is sick, so I take chicken soup. That's great. But what if serve was, was, was a much broader context? What if how we serve others through the, through the lens of Jesus who said, if you want to be great, you must become my servant. Now, when we see it through that lens, what we know is service is when we stop looking out for our own good and we want to serve others on behalf of Christ for their good. It is when the one thing that we have that is worth sharing, that's the presence of Christ in our life, when he is put into action in our life, we are then going to share Christ when we serve others. Now, there are people in the church, and and of of the latest study says there's 2% of church members who will sometime in a year verbally convey to somebody else what they believe about Jesus. Then there is a much larger percentage that says, I believe serving the Lord is me growing deeper and learning more and attending Bible study and being a part of this and being a part of that and I come to church. Then there's another segment that gets a little smaller that says, I believe service is when I offer what the Lord has given to me and my, and my gifts and my temperament and my talents and my finances. And when I give, I give in all those areas and I do so sacrificially. And so when you look at serve, it's a broad context for many of us. We have the opportunity to try to drill down today and figure out why should I serve and what does serve look like? I have a a friend who grew up very wealthy. And literally he tells a story that like when he was eight or 10 years old, that the bell would ring And that meant it was time for everybody to come to dinner. Now, dinner in my house growing up, there was no bell being rung until it was about dark 30 in the summer, and that means you better get home, right? But this was a dinner bell. And when the dinner bell rang, everybody would come to the table. But before you came to the table, you knew your job was to have cleaned up. And in this case of this young boy, that meant coat and tie, shiny shoes. Everybody would stand at the table and all at once sit down. And then grace was said while there were people in the home that served the family. So when you say service to this dude, this is a whole nother level. For most of us, when we hear serve, it is like, how do I help somebody in desperate need of help? How do I go beyond what is the exception or what, what is the expectation and I can truly serve someone else? Well, if the Bible is a very big deal to you, if Jesus is the single biggest deal on the planet to you, then that will mean that serving others in need both here and around the world is how you're going to show that love, how you're going to show that faith. Now, there's two levels on which we understand the passage in Philippians. First, it gives us a remarkable insight into the nature and the work of Jesus. Now, if you stop there, what we're seeing here is the first insight we get in this package is that Jesus is calling us to become more like him. How do we know that? Because the Lord Jesus is saying to you and to me, what I need you to do is take on my attitude and live in my attitude so that you might have the greatest impact on the world. Folks often tell me, you know, Chuck, I'd love to help people, but I don't have enough time. Chuck, I'd love to do that, but I I don't have enough hours in the day, which is fascinating to me because we get the same number of hours that uh, Billy Graham had. We get the same number of minutes uh, that that, uh, Mother Teresa had. 
We get, the, we get the same number of days. We get the same number of seconds that Martha, Martin Luther King Jr. had. All of these great and wonderful leaders, you know what we find? We've got the same amount of time. We have the same amount of seconds. We have the same amount of hours each day. The question is, what do we do with it? And what we do with it tells everyone else what our attitude is because that's what's showing up in our actions. Now, it really shows us something else. It doesn't just show that our attitude can be in line with Christ, but it shows us the equality that Jesus has with God in his coexistence, humanity. Now, let me stop and say, this is where it is so weird to try to grasp and wrap our head around. Now, let, let me just put this in perspective because I think this helps all of us. Here we were as a world, clearly over the history books, even if you set the Bible aside, history would show that we have moved through this time of barbaric leadership, and now we're just in like a more politically barbaric leadership world, but we're still a people that are wrestling with how do we live for God on a regular basis. And what we find here is Jesus enters into humanity as the son of God, God himself, and simultaneously enters into our humanity that he is fully human as well. So when you say, well, Chuck, I don't understand that. Let me give you a great term that'll help you. I don't either. Because the fact is, God the Father, our creator, gave us his son, our savior, that he might live a sinless life, a perfect life, that he might give his life as a ransom for all who would believe, that his blood would be shed, that he would be buried in a borrowed tomb, that three days later, he would raise from the dead. 40 days later, he would, he would ascend back to the right hand of the Father. And everything we know is that when he did that, he said to his disciples and to us that he is leaving for us his Holy Spirit. So what do we know from that? We know that God is three parts, one God. God the Father, our Creator. God the Son, our Savior. God the Holy Spirit, our Keeper. And so we know, like an apple has three parts, we know that God sent part of Him to this earth to be born of a Virgin Mary, to be born in a stall designed for feeding cattle, and that He would die on an old rugged cross. So when Jesus comes to earth, he comes fully God, fully deity. And at the same time, while he is 100% God, he is also 100% human. He is 100% mankind. That's why many theologians refer to Jesus and his ministry on the earth as the God-man, being fully God, being fully man. But we also see that Paul, who is writing this text, to the church is making a point, he's making a point of telling us you are to live with this attitude. Now, if you're wondering, is Paul saying he's supposed to give direction to that church and how that church is supposed to act? Yes, but he is equally, and maybe more importantly to us, telling us how Sugar Hill Church is to be as a part of his church, but even broader, how the church at large, the body of Christ, is to act and react in the attitude of Christ Jesus. It is he who we follow. It is his actions we are to emulate. Now, uh, when, when you were a little kid, uh, you, you probably had somebody you wanted to emulate your life after. You wanted to be like somebody. 
So when I was a little boy, uh, man, I, my favorite baseball player when I was a little boy was a fellow that wore number eight for the Boston Red Sox, and his name was Carl Yastrzemski. And I thought that he was the greatest ball player of all time. So anytime I got a t-shirt and I could sneak away from mom and steal her magic markers, I would put, the, I would put his number on the back of my t-shirt. I would write his name. Can you imagine how hard it is for a six-year-old to write Yastrzemski? So I just went with Yaz. But I wanted to be like him. So when I played Little League ball, I would step into the box. And Yastrzemski always had this way of holding the bat, which is way up high. I mean, his hands would be way up here, up at the very top of, of his head. And he would wiggle his bat around. I can remember literally standing, playing Little League ball, taking that bat and trying to look like Carl Yastrzemski, knowing good and well that, you know what, I must look like a fool. And yet, that's what he did, so I was going to do it. Didn't you? I mean, think of it. How many of you were at one point a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? Right? I've seen some of you grown men walk. It's now Halloween season. I've seen you grown men wearing Captain America stuff. Let me just stop and say, stop. Don't do it. Don't do it. Paul is saying to us as the church, this is how to act, though. This attitude, this desire, this willingness, this is how you're to act. Listen to the text again. Have this mindset, this attitude among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. If we're to act appropriately, if we're to act in obedience, then the direction given in verses 1 through 4 possess the same mind and the same attitude as Jesus. Look, look, look back for just a second. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Oh, my stars, are we not in a world who is, is in desperate need of encouragement? I mean, seriously, are we not in a world that is so chaotic that just a word of encouragement might change the world? Just a voice that would say, come on, you can do it, might change the world. If this is the action, if this is the attitude that Paul is saying, this is how the church ought to act, let's go back to last week and honk a little bit. If you have no idea what I'm talking about honking, go back to the podcast. I got, I can't tell you how many voicemails, emails, texts, and or Facebook messages that had geese on it honking over the past week. Let me, Justin, say just back to you, honk. See? Doesn't it just liven up the mood just immediately? And some of you are like, no, Chuck. I don't do goose talk at church, no. Try it. It's so much fun. Just take on that sense of attitude and go there. I really do believe that if, if we would take on the attitude of Christ when it comes to putting ourselves in the right proportion behind him and others, I, I, we might actually change the world. We, we, might, we might actually elect people who believe that. We might actually live in such a way that our business and our family might take on this attitude. See, verses 5 through 11, as you read back through it, show us how it is to be done by describing a servant from the example of Jesus himself. Now, here's a big aha. Are you ready? This is the aha in this text. You cannot allow Christ to live through you and not be a servant. If, if you say, well, Chuck, you know what? I love Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. I want to live for Jesus, but I'm not all about a servanthood. Then I'm telling you the first part of your statement is a lie. I don't believe it's possible to be fully in love with Christ and walk with Christ and not serve others. 
I do not believe it's possible for us to live in the power and the presence of Jesus, to have his spirit alive in our world and in our life, and then go act diametrically opposite that and not serve people. Verses 5 through 11 teaches us this. Now, in verses 6 through 11, the insight follows. The clear and unmistakable application is this. The, the text tells us to do what Jesus did. We are to go do what Jesus did. So I have people often will say, well, why should I get baptized, Chuck? We had three or four folks baptized at 930. Why should I do that? Well, we do that because this is part of what Jesus did. What he did, we ought to do more of. What else did Jesus do? He prayed. What else did he do? He went to the temple. What else did he do? He told people about himself. What else did he do? He healed people. What else did he do? He encouraged people. Do you see the pattern here? It is always about others. The attitude of our heart when we're living in the attitude of Christ says, I am not above others, but they are there that I might have the privilege and the honor of serving them. Now you get down to verse five, coming on the heels of verse one through four, and it says we're to be servants just as Jesus was a servant. Okay, now, now stop there for a minute. How was he a servant? How would he, being all God and all man, 100% here, 100% there? It's not 50-50, it's 100-100, the God-man. How did he serve? All right, go to verse 6. Though he was God, he did not, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Wait a minute. So even though he was God, he could take the short option, but he didn't. He could choose to cut corners, but he didn't. He could choose to be treated like deity, but he didn't. In verse 7, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the, hum the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, now you remember what, we, what do we ask every time you see this text? What's that therefore, therefore, right? That therefore is there for this. God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above other names, all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not only what his attitude was and is, but how it was lived out in his life and day to day. What we're seeing here, the reason why God the Father allowed God the Son to come and be fully God and fully man was that he could completely totally, utterly face what you and I face and conquer it so that we might in faith in him do the same. This is one of the Bible verses we throw around a lot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because Jesus first served you. How did he serve me, Chuck? He came and died and shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sin. He rose from the dead that you might not have to stay dead, but you could be alive in Christ and went to heaven to sit by the Father so that you might have heaven as your place for eternity. I would say that's pretty great service. And so Jesus came and served so that we might serve like him. Now, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this aha. Jesus came and he chose to take on the role of a servant. He could have come and been deity. He could have come and been God. He didn't have to take on humanity, and yet he did so that he could fulfill 
dozens of Old Testament prophecies, and more importantly, fulfill, fulfill his destiny that includes ours. So you look at this and you say, attitude ought to always determine action. Isn't that a good statement? Our attitude is out of what dictates our actions. So let me stop and ask you this. When your action does not mimic, when it doesn't mirror the life of Christ, what's your attitude? Got it, right? And yet when our action is serving others and taking on the role of a servant and we are more like Christ, what will our actions look like? Our actions will look and feel more like Christ. So when we look at this, you say, all right, Chuck, well, I, I need a little something else. You say, well, I can't have the same ministry Jesus had. He was God and I'm not. That's true. But you can have the same attitude towards people, the same attitude towards serving, the same attitude will drive your action. So one of the parts of my everyday prayer life is, Lord, may I take on the attitude of you. May I take on the attitude that is yours. May I, may I take on the attitude that will drive my actions like you. Let me just stop and say, I fail miserably very often because our attitude is often driven about what our personal desires are. Our attitude is driven often by what we think the world ought to be through our lens. And we forget that the attitude of Christ was the ability to confront sin to be able to be sorry and repent of our sins so that we might love better than ever before. Now there's two extremes here. The two extremes are, you know what? We just need to always be on the side of the grace and forget law. Well, the problem is though, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So at times what we have to do is let the spirit of God, let the word of God, let the attitude of Christ correct us when we are in a path that is not like Christ so that we might choose and then in his power and his grace, get back on the right track. Have you ever decided you knew that the GPS and your card wasn't right and you went the other way? You ever done that? Yeah, I have too. And the voice in my truck is mean. Like when I get like three, I don't know, three tenths or so off track, she literally starts this, you turn, you turn, you turn. And I'm thinking, why are you so angry? I mean, I'm just going over here to get a burger, you turn. You know what? I think at times what happens is we know the GPS of God's word says, this is the way to go, walk in it. And we're like, no. And at times the voice of the spirit of God in us is like, you turn, you turn, you turn. And then we have the folks who say, oh, but you know, Jesus is all about grace. Oh, he is. But he's also about correction that we might experience in no grace. Because there are times we have to turn around. There are times we need correction. There are times that he longs to bring us back over so that we can move from law to grace and understand we didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us anyway. Now we're talking about the attitude of Christ. So let me give you five very quick reasons about how to be a servant. Number one, being a servant means giving up my rights for others. Now this does not sound right in America today, does it? I've got my right. I got my right to sit when the American anthem, when the Star Spangled Banners played, <laughs> whatever. I got my right to, to throw rocks and vandalize stuff that even I don't know what I'm fighting about. I, I got my rights. Jesus comes and turns the world right side up and says, you know, the rights you have 
are God-given. And if you take on my attitude, you're going to surrender your right so that you can take on the role of a servant. Because when you do so, I'm going to bless you immensely. You say, Chuck, that makes no sense to me. I know. God's economy is not the same as Wall Street. God's economy is built on our heart, not on our checkbook. God's economy is not built on our 401k. It is built on where we're going for eternity. Our economy causes us to hold on to all we have, and God's economy leads us to give away all that we have. You see, when we live and learn that it truly is better to give than receive, then all of a sudden we've taken on not another right, we've taken on a privilege. We've taken on a privilege to be able to help. Jesus was of the very same nature as God, that he was in fact God and gave us this picture that without serving others, there's no greatness in your life. You can have more degrees than a thermometer and you can have more money than anybody on the planet, but at the same time, there's no peace that comes apart from that. Now, this is an interesting thing. If those of you who are theologues, you'll, you'll be familiar with this phrase. There's a phrase called the hypostatic union. Now, a hypostatic union is a theological phrase referring to the dual nature of Jesus. A hypostatic union is the, is the recognition that Jesus, all God, Jesus, all man, Jesus, the God-man, lived as 100% human and lived as 100% deity, 100% God. And so you look at that and you say, Paul is saying that because we have Jesus living in us, we're enabled now for us to live out a divine nature. Do you see what's happened? That Jesus has said, as all God, I can come and live inside you. I can reside inside your life that you might rest on me, that you might abide in me, and you as 100% human might take on the attitude of the divine. Now, you see, when you look at this, you say, well, Chuck, I just don't know how that happens. Me either. But here's what I do know. By faith, I know that I know that I know that in my life when I said, God, I desperately need you. I have made a mess of my life. I want to turn my life around. I want to take on your attitude. The one that called people, that they called you to die for me and blade for me and be buried for me and be risen for me. Chuck, I, I, I want to do that. Lord, would you give that to me? Here's the promise. He says, if you call on his name, he'll answer you and that it can be you. But being a servant means we surrender our personal rights for the privilege to serve others. Now, at that point, many of us are saying, I ain't giving up anything, Chuck. I'm not, I'm not giving up anything. Oh, I think you are. Because see, when we choose partial obedience, we are living in total disobedience. And in doing so, what we surrendered was far worse than our rights we forfeited and surrendered the blessing and obedience of God when we're walking with him. You see, my rights are paltry compared to what the blessing of the Lord Jesus is on my life as he walks with me and talks with me along a narrow way. Hear that? And all the Baptists said, there you go. Listen to what the gospel writer John said in verse 114. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. Now, who is John referring to? Well, let me read it another way. 
Jesus became flesh like us, and he took up residence in and among us. And we, res we, we observed how incredibly glorious he is, glorious as the one and the only Son of the Father, our Creator, full of grace, full of truth. Notice the next thing Paul says is this. He did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Jesus wasn't looking for a quick way out. He wasn't looking for a quick fix. Jesus was in it for you. Jesus was in it to be obedient to the Father for you, for me, for us. Jesus didn't hold on to his, his own rights as God. Jesus considered his deity as opportunity to serve and obey. He said, I want to be more like my father. I want to do what my father has sent me here to do. I want to obey. I want to serve. Now, now look, the, the, the channel of giving rather than a conduit for getting is a different right system. Jesus is saying, listen, you want to be first, go ahead and be last. You want to be great, go ahead and be a servant. Jesus is saying that when we take the high road with our attitude and we take the lowest servant role as a servant, this space in between is there to be filled with his blessing out of our obedience and our commitment to walk with Christ. So if you're saying, well, Chuck, I don't feel like I'm living in obedience and walking in this blessed life with Christ, then let me ask you something. Have you attempted to take on the, the attitude of Christ? And have you chosen to become a servant to others so that you've created room in your life? to receive that blessing. Number two, being a servant means becoming less so that others can become more. The scriptures give this picture that Jesus emptied himself, literally poured himself out. If I had a basin of water and I stood here and I poured it out, you know what I'd be doing? Giving a picture of what Jesus did by giving of himself, by being poured out that we might have the opportunity to be in right relationship with him. You look at that and you say, well, that's pretty heavy stuff, Chuck. I'm not sure how I could do that. Well, let me ask you a question. What distance did Jesus travel from heaven to the cross? Now, think about it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are in heaven, and they're looking at this creation, and they know those folks are in trouble. How far did Jesus travel from heaven to the manger, to the sinless life, to the years of ministry, to the cross. How far was that distance? That's a good question, isn't it? How far was that question? Let me give you a few answers to it. You ready? He went from robes in deity to rags as a prisoner. He went from being served as the holy son of God to serving people, some of the same people that would call out for his death. He went from the splendor and the beauty of heaven to the cobblestones of the Via Dolorosa as he carried his own cross. Why did he do all that? He did it because of his great love for you. That's why he did that. That's why when we look at service, we're, we're saying, man, this is, not, this is not sacrificial. This is a glorious opportunity to be more like the Lord. It's a great opportunity to be able to serve more like him. Number three, serving means being obedient whatever the cost. Jesus humbled himself. It's impossible for us to understand the intensity of what God is saying here. 
He who made all men and knows the hearts of all men, had all authority over all men, humbled himself and allowed himself to be executed by those same men. This is some ser serious service here. In the world Paul shared with the Philippians, crucifixion was the cruelest form of death, the cruelest form of execution by the Roman Empire. And in this, we begin to understand the depths of humility to which Jesus took that on for us. Hmm. It's on a cross that the true nature of Jesus is found. The true sacrificial servant is found. Do you remember the text where Jesus says, Father, if there's any way to take this cup from me, and yet what is the recognition? I know there's not. You see, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's us. He took on the role of servant. Then how much more are we to try to emulate what that service is like? You see, there's nothing that Jesus is going to ask of us that will cost us as much as being a servant for us cost him. Nothing. For many of us, we've already predetermined all the things that, that God wants us to do. And in reality, we've simply decided we're not going to listen to God. We don't want to become a servant. He's going to ask us to go outside the box and show, show the world that I love other people. Servanthood means being obedient, whatever the cost. And servanthood will be rewarded. I love this concept, verses 9 through 11. Jesus was obedient because he humbled himself and because he's willing to pay the price, he'll be exalted. The Father has given him the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And don't miss the principle here. God rewards our humble, obedient service. Now, let me just stop and say, the only part of our service that God honors is that part of our service that has the attitude of Christ, not the one looking for a spotlight, not the one looking for a book deal, not the one that wants to pastor the biggest church, not the one that expects a return on your investment for the next job or a better car or a bigger home. It is always a matter of our heart. Everything Jesus teaches is a matter of our heart. Don't miss the principle. God rewards humility and obedient service, not service that cries out to you and I, if I do this, I'm going to be recognized. If I make this decision, more people are going to like me and I'll become more popular. If I could point to anything I've learned in the silly season of this presidential election, would it not be awesome if we could pick one person somewhere that we could say there's an ounce of humility there? Just an ounce. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because you see, but to do that, you'd have to take on the attitude of Christ. Listen to what Proverbs 22, 4, the wisest man that ever lived. Listen to what he said. The result of humility is the fear of the Lord along with wealth, honor, and life. Oh, my stars. This is a great promise from the word of God. Matthew 23, 11, The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And you're saying, Chuck, that Bible word exalted, I don't get. All right, how about this? You are going to be such a big deal in the eyes of God. Look, that's my boy. That's my girl. Way to go. When Jesus was baptized and John the Baptist took him under that water and brought him back up, what did God say of, of the son? That's my boy. I'm so proud of my boy. Listen, he wants to say that of you and me too. 
But it only happens out of sacrificial humility that says, I'm going to take on the attitude of Christ and bury my rights for the privilege to serve. Oh, and finally, being a servant is about being and about doing. Years ago, I, I taught this passage. I mean, we're talking 15, 20 years ago. And, and the only thing that I, I wrote was that being a servant is about being. Oh, and I forgot. The attitude of the heart will be revealed in the actions. So being a servant is about both. You ever ridden by somebody who is asking for help and you thought to yourself, you know, if I do that, I'm probably going to get burnt and you drove on? Four or five minutes later, you think to yourself, man, I should have stopped. I should have done something. I should try to help. You see, the attitude that you felt like you should, that's awesome. The attitude that you felt like you should and you turned back around and you did, that's unbelievable. This is the attitude of Christ. There's no genuine life in Jesus. There's no genuine life in Jesus that is not at the same time by the power of the Holy Spirit being transformed into the likeness of Christ, a servant. If Jesus humbled himself to become a servant to others, then how can we as his followers do anything less than serve people in need? And maybe you're in here and you're saying, you know what, Chuck, I, I want to be served here today then let me serve you so well. If you're looking for peace and joy and fulfillment and contentment, then choose Jesus and his attitude. And when you choose that, life doesn't get any easier, but it does get more joy-filled. It does get forgiven. It does promise you heaven, and he is there for you and will never walk away. And I would say to you, take on that attitude. Don't miss that attitude. Don't miss that opportunity. So you see, the only thing that remind, remains to this text today is your choice. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to take on the attitude of Christ? Are you going to take on the attitude of a servant? But I want to stop here. Just, so you've already checked out on me. It's not time to pack your person Bible up yet. Just look right here for a minute. I think it's wonderful that as a church, we do things like salt and light day. I really do. I think it's wonderful as a church, we do things like backpacks and go to Haiti. And I think it's wonderful that we serve in our public schools. I think all those things are wonderful. But what this text is saying is not just applicable to what we know as the local body of believers, the local church. This text is talking about you. The easiest thing to do is hear this text and look up and say, hey, Chuck, you lead this place, so you guys better make sure you do this. And what I would say to you is look in the mirror and say, Jesus is talking about me. Paul wrote about me. I am the church. These four walls are not the church. You are the church. You want to have a great church? Serve people. Want to be a part of something that the Lord would look at and say, be proud of my kid? Serve people. But how? In the attitude of Christ Jesus. And the attitude of Christ Jesus, I have never, ever, ever, ever seen anybody who gave of themselves in the spirit of Christ come back and say, wish I'd never done that. Helping that old lady, total waste. Now, I hear this a lot. You know, I felt like I was supposed to give that guy something, so I gave him 10 bucks. He probably went out and bought beer with it. You know, I'd help that family, but you know, we've already helped them one time before, and look what they did. You see, taking on the attitude of Christ says to do what he calls you to do and leave the outcome to him. Not look for how you're going to manipulate the outcome. 
People ask me somewhat regularly, Chuck, how come you don't do like altar calls every Sunday where people can come down in an aisle and pray and give their life to Christ or join a church? And Why do you do that? Because, you see, I, I'm pretty confident in, in my ability to try to manipulate words and emotions and whatnot to make you feel like that's, that's what it is to follow Christ. But see, that's not what it is to follow Christ. To follow Christ is for you to say, I need to change my life. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to accept his death and his burial and his resurrection as payment for my sin. And Jesus, I want to turn around. I want to live for you. And I want to thank you that you gave your life so I could have heaven. I want you to make that choice. I don't want to, I, I don't, I don't want to convince you. I want you to make that choice. You know why? Because when you make that choice, the next conviction you're going to have is I want to follow him on believer's baptism. I want to serve people in need. And it'll stop being, well, you know, if I help them, they're probably going to use it for all the wrong ways. You see, being obedient isn't about what they do with it. Being obedient is did you give it. Being obedient isn't whether you go to a senior adult's house and wonder, why doesn't her kids do all this help? Well, you know, that's not the issue. The question is, did you? You see, Chuck, you mean that sometimes you're going to get burnt when you do it? Yeah, oh, yeah, my, my goodness, of course. You know why? This, this world's filled with evil. world filled with evil people. But you see, the only way you're going to change that evil is to replace it with not good, but with God. You see, the opposite of bad isn't good. The opposite of bad is love. That's what we offer this world. That's why we're servants. That's why that attitude of Christ is him and him alone. So today, choose Jesus. If you've already done that in your life, okay, then commit your life to become, take on the attitude of Christ Jesus. Take on the attitude of a servant. And then commit your life personally. I'm going to be used by the Lord in this attitude and as a servant. Oh, my stars, it, it will radically change your life. Let's pray. Lord, today we're grateful for your goodness and your grace. Lord, I pray today we, we, we would serve out of an attitude of you. You are the only thing that matters in all of totality in our life. Our families aren't good without you. Our careers are no good without you. Our servanthood is no good without you. So God, fall on every heart and every mind. Let our soul dances as our heart and our mind has come together in tune with you. And we love you and we praise you that in this time we can trust you in all things and that your word will always return for the purpose for which you sent it and it'll never come back void. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.